Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to another uh, another episode of the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Happy to have you with us today on this uh, Tuesday after the uh, <laughs> the Supreme Court apocalypse. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Uh, if you would have told me, I don't know, five, six years ago that I would live to see the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, I would have called you a liar. Uh, I would have called you a lot of things probably because I was a stupid little shit lib back then. But um, it's it's pretty wild that we're at where we're at right now. And I had originally scheduled more of like a fun episode to do for this week, and we could still have fun. But I I thought, given the decision in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, which has now overturned Roe v. Wade, I thought it would be helpful to give just a little historical context. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do here. And I've written a lot. I don't have to go over all of it. It's probably better if we just opened the discussion earlier, but I want to give people just an understanding for people who might not be listening to this live, for people who may tune in later and, and try to understand just how we got here, how we got to a point where nine unelected justices could just destroy a right for millions of people. I think it's important that for a little bit, I actually use my, my little law degree here and I just provide some context. Okay. So the U S Supreme court is often touted as being an impartial institution sitting above the fray of politics with its only goal being to objectively interpret the constitution. I'm sure you've heard this, but this is a lie, and it has been since the court's inception. From the very beginning, the U.S. Supreme Court has been a highly partial, highly political institution with a history of subjectively interpreting the Constitution with one major goal in mind, to expand and maintain its institutional power. And you don't have to be a constitutional scholar here to know that the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization that that decision is messed up on its face. Uh, without knowing anything about constitutional law, you can look at this decision overturning Roe v. Wade and know that it's messed up. Uh, it overturns nearly 50 years of precedent. It overturns the uh, interpretations of the Constitution by many other Supreme Courts. And it seems wrong that nine unelected life-appointed judges can decide the fates of millions, and it is. It is wrong. But to really understand just how messed up this decision is, we need to go over a little bit of history. So let's start with how the Supreme Court gained this power in the first place. So you may believe that the court's power to decide cases like Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization stems directly from the Constitution. You would be wrong. Instead, this power comes from a case in the early 1800s called Marbury v. Madison, so I'll set the scene a little bit. It's January 1801. The president is John Adams, and a new president, Thomas Jefferson, I'm sure you heard of him, has just been elected to replace Adams. So Adams is still the president for now, and his 
Secretary of State is a guy named John Marshall. And Adams liked John Marshall so much that he actually made John Marshall uh, the third Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And for the last few months of Adams' presidency, Marshall served in both capacities. So he's both the Secretary of State and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It's about to get more political, folks. Just wait. <laughs> so Adams, like I said, Jefferson's been elected, but Adams and Jefferson kind of hate each other. <laughs> They're in opposing political parties, and they have drastically different views on how they should run the country. So Adams gets this idea to, in the final days of his presidency, to appoint 42 justices, to create 42 new justiceships or whatever, and appoint 42 justices. And uh, in order for these nominees to take office, they need to receive a commission that's signed by none other than Adams Secretary of the State, John Marshall. Okay? So Adams announces the nominations for these 42 justices on March 2nd. Just, this is fucking crazy, okay? March 2nd, Adams says, look, I'm, here are the names of the new judges. The next day is March 3rd. The Senate confirms the nominees on March 3rd. And March 3rd just happens to be the day before Jefferson's inauguration. Jefferson is literally taking office the next day. So Senate confirms these nominees. John Marshall signs the commissions. And now John Marshall is in charge of delivering these commissions to the new appointees. But some of these commissions were not delivered before Jefferson's inauguration, including a commission meant for one person named William Marbury. So when Jefferson took office the next day, he directed his Secretary of State, James Madison, to withhold the undelivered commissions so that the other justices could not take office. And Marbury never received his commission. So the guy in charge of actually delivering the commission, John Marshall, doesn't. The next day, Jefferson comes into office and says, you know what, those justices that were just appointed... No, we're not letting him take office. Fuck him. So Marbury, one of the justices who was supposed to get a commission, uh, he sued Madison in the U.S. Supreme Court. And so he asked the court to issue something called a writ of mandamus. Now, a mandamus is basically just an order from the court saying that you must do something, that you must comply. But here's the problem, okay? <laughs> While the court can write an order... It doesn't actually have anybody to force somebody to comply with that order. It doesn't have an army. It doesn't have any sort of power to create an enforcement mechanism. But can you guess who is responsible for forcing compliance? If you guess the executive branch, you're correct. So essentially, this is what's happening here. Marbury is asking the court to order the president to do something. And the person in charge of forcing the president to actually comply is the president. So how do you think that's going to go down? So uh, to, to kind of put it simply, like Marshall is in a, a rock, in between a rock and a hard place. So politically, uh, this is what Chimerinsky, uh, he's a constitutional scholar, this is how he put it. Politically, Marshall knew that, ruling, that a ruling in favor of Marbury would be futile because the Jefferson administration would ignore it, and that would undermine the court's authority at the beginning of its history. So the person who was supposed to deliver the commissions 
to Marbury is now the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And Marbury is asking that guy and that court to force the Jefferson administration to deliver his commission. So what does he do? And I promise this will start to make sense. If you're a little confused, this will start to make sense. There's a, a Judiciary Act of 1789, which Congress had passed, which basically let uh, the Supreme Court have the power to issue mandamus actions. So technically, the court has this power. They can order Jefferson and Madison to deliver this commission, but they know that Jefferson will not follow that order. So what happened? How does John Marshall figure this out? And by the way, this guy should have recused himself, John Marshall. Uh, and recusal is just when a judge notices that they have a conflict of interest in a decision and they voluntarily sit out of the decision. But John Marshall didn't do that, even though he was literally the guy supposed to deliver these commissions. So what happened? Uh, what happened is John Marshall came up with one of the the greatest political slights of hands in American history. So this is what happened, and this will make a lot more sense when we get back to Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So Justice Marshall found that, yes, Marbury had a right to the commission, and the executive branch was wrong for not delivering his commission. And the court, under the Judiciary Act that I mentioned, had the authority to issue a mandamus action as a, as a remedy. But the court also found that it would not issue a mandamus action because the Judiciary Act of 1789 violated the Constitution in and of itself. So what's going on here? What, we don't have to go into every part of this or not, but basically, this is, this is, a, this is a sleight of hand, Okay. By saying that, yes, we would have the power under this act to force you to comply, but then finding the act unconstitutional, the, the court looks like it's weakening its power. Like it's saying, well, we actually can't, because this act is unconstitutional, we can't force you to comply. But how did it come up with the idea that they were in charge of determining whether this act and whether the president had acted constitutionally. What they're doing here, what the court did, is it seemingly limited its own power by finding that Judiciary Act unconstitutional. But in doing so, it established its own power to declare executive and legislative actions and laws unconstitutional. So the court just gave itself, gave Jefferson the result he wanted, right? But it established itself as the only branch of government which had the power to interpret and enforce the Constitution. And that power is called judicial review. So this is brilliant, okay? Because Marshall basically, he's giving Jefferson everything that he wants, making the court look weaker, but making the court more powerful than ever before. So every decision where the Supreme Court declares a law unconstitutional or constitutional, and every decision where the U.S. Supreme Court dictates the meaning of the Constitution relies upon the power of judicial review, which is a power that the court granted itself in Marbury versus Madison. It is not a power it has from the Constitution. 
So let me say that again. Every time the U.S. Supreme Court dictates the meaning of the Constitution, finds a law constitutional or unconstitutional, they're doing that based on the authority that it granted itself in Marbury versus Madison. They're not doing that based on any constitutional authority. Uh, again, there's a constitutional law scholar, uh, Chimerinsky, who helped me pass law school from his books <laughs> that he writes. Uh, he, he, again, I have a quote from him here from one of his books. Quote, Marbury versus Madison is the single most important decision in American constitutional law. It established the authority for the judiciary to review the constitutionality of executive and legislative acts. Although the Constitution is silent as to whether federal courts have this authority, this power has existed ever since Marbury. End quote. So that's the first concept that I want you to understand with, with this, this decision from uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Is already the power to find laws constitutional or unconstitutional exists outside of the Constitution, and it's a power the court gave itself. So far, so good? Cool. Let's talk about originalism. Okay? Now, originalism refers to a belief about how judges should interpret the Constitution. And it's a belief that's been popularized in the modern day by the Federalist Society and Justice Antonin Scalia. Originalism holds that the U.S. Constitution should be interpreted based on the intent of the Founding Fathers, as determined by examining evidence of their understanding of the meaning of the Constitution in its historical context. And uh, again, Chemerinsky, as he puts it, quote, originalists believe that the court should find a right to exist in the Constitution only if it is expressly stated in the text or was clearly intended by its framers, end quote. So there are a lot of reasons why this doesn't work, why originalism doesn't work, Right. Many critics note, rightfully, that originalism relies upon a fiction that we could somehow objectively interpret the Founding Fathers' intent. Interpreting history is always a struggle. You can only interpret whatever records have survived, so your view of history will already be skewed by what remains accessible. So hundreds of years from now, if the only remnants left of our civilization is, uh, I don't know, a DVD box set of the show Friends... Historians might believe that working at a coffee shop would allow somebody to afford a multi-bedroom apartment in New York, right? They're going to have a, a messed up view of history. I mean, they, they might also think if it's just friends, they might also think that only straight white people could be friends, uh, which would be correct. <laughs> you're, not allowed, uh, you're not allowed to have black friends. At least, you know, well, it, it, look, it was the founding father's original intent of the Constitution for you to not have black friends. I, I'm getting off point. But originalism re requires historical interpretation, okay? And interpreting history involves looking at select artifacts, writings, records, whatever. And even the process of choosing which materials we examine and how much weight we assign them is a subjective act in and of itself. And other critics of originalism rightfully point out that even if we could objectively understand the intent of the Founding Fathers, the original intent of the Founding Fathers did not always line up with the demands of justice. America was founded with an understanding that slavery was legal, that slaves were three-fifths of a person, that women and non-landowning men could not vote, uh, etc. Uh, I'm sure you've heard some of these reasons before. Uh, and if the Founding Fathers intended to create an unequal society where the rich ruled and the poor had no direct means to democratically participate, then maybe we shouldn't care too much about what they intended. 
The demands of justice call for more than the desires of the affluent and the politically elite. But finally, the biggest criticism of originalism, again, is that we can look at Marbury versus Madison. The court's power to interpret the Constitution is not expressly stated in the Constitution. If you apply an originalist lens to that power, it's a legal fiction. And we've all just adhered to it because one very smart boy wrote a very smart opinion which gave the Supreme Court supreme authority. And if these originalists were being honest, then they'd recognize this and abdicate their power as unconstitutional. And uh, just two more concepts I want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll open it up. So part of this decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is based on uh, enumerated versus unenumerated rights. Now, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, so using its self-appointed power of judicial review, the U.S. Supreme Court has determined that the Constitution provides two separate categories of rights, enumerated and unenumerated. Enumerated rights are those that are explicitly stated in the Constitution and its amendments. So stuff like uh, freedom of assembly, free speech, freedom of religion, etc. It's, it's written down in the text. Uh, the second category of rights, the unenumerated rights, are not expressly written in the Constitution. And instead, they are inferred or implied from existing laws. So what unenumerated rights you possess depends on the court's subjective reading of the Constitution. So unenumerated rights include the right to travel, the right to keep your personal affairs personal, and your right to privacy, at least until this decision in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And one last thing I want to talk about so we can understand this is stare decisis. It's just a, a fancy Latin term that means that judges should follow the precedent of other judges in the same and lower in the, uh, or judges in the same and lower courts should follow the precedent of judges, other judges. Um, so it basically holds that prior precedent should determine legal decision making for future courts in cases involving similar facts and circumstances. Uh, so to put it another way, stare decisis is if a prior Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution in a certain way, then subsequent Supreme Courts should interpret the Constitution in a consistent manner. So you would think that the principle of stare decisis alone would be enough to stop Alito and the other five justices from overturning Roe. But you think wrong. Because here's the real kicker about stare decisis. There's no hard and fast rule about when a court must observe it. So in other words, a, court's, a Supreme Court's decision to overturn another Supreme Court is a subjective choice. As the highest court in the land, there are no rules preventing the Supreme Court from overruling any precedent at any time. So let's go back to Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Okay, in this decision, Justice Alito subjectively ignores the principle of stare decisis and instead says that Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong from the start because he believes that prior very smart boys were not as smart as him, who is the veriest, smartiest boy. He applies an originalist interpretation and finds that the Constitution provides no express right to privacy. And keep in mind, to do this... He's using a power of judicial review 
a power that is not expressly mentioned in the Constitution, and a power the court gave itself during a hotly political case. And since your right to an abortion comes from your unenumerated right to privacy, Alito then goes on to determine that based on his subjective reading of the Constitution, that you cannot have an unenumerated right to an abortion. Because according to Alito, unenumerated rights must be deeply rooted in America's history and traditions. And abortion, he says, is not. And keep in mind, those deeply rooted traditions included chattel slavery, denying women the right to vote, and being just the worst to a lot of people. Those deeply rooted traditions do not or did not, I guess they do now, but they did not include the court being able to interpret the Constitution unilaterally, which is a power he's using to come up with these decisions. So there's nothing objective about this decision. I just want to put that out there. It's a bunch of smarty boy talk to obscure the fact that your rights are being trampled upon due to some subjective political bullshit. And... Just to kind of drive the point home as to there's nothing subjective about this decision or nothing objective about it, um, it's difficult to see the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade as apolitical because it's not. Okay, All six of the justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade have ties to and were handpicked by the Federalist Society, a right-wing political organization. Five of the six justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade are Catholic. The six... Justice Neil Gorsuch was raised Catholic, and of course the Catholic Church believes all human life begins at conception. And Alito does not go so far in his opinion as to recognize fetal personhood, but he does say that the right to an abortion is unique in that it profoundly affects the rights of more than one person, unlike other unenumerated rights. And I'll let you guess what Alito means by other, the other person being affected by an abortion. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that the decisions of these justices line up nicely with their religious and political affiliations. Just as I'm sure it's a coincidence that just yesterday, these same six justices ruled that a teacher could lead students in prayer in public schools, even though doing so is obviously contentious with the separation between church and state, which is guaranteed by the Constitution. So what does this opinion mean? I'm sure you've already heard on this show and others how this opinion threatens over 50 years' worth of decisions regarding your right to privacy. I'm sure you've already heard how Justice Thomas's concurring opinion says that we should reconsider Lawrence v. Texas, which legalized consensual same-sex relationships, Obergefell, which legalized gay marriage, and Griswold v. Connecticut, which uh, basically legalized access to contraceptives. The, the problem is, with the way Alito's written this opinion, Justice Thomas is actually on ideologically solid ground here. Because according to Alito's logic, these cases are due for reconsideration by the court. It's interesting that Thomas calls out these cases, by the way, but not Loving versus Virginia, which relies on the same reasoning as these cases. But the facts of Loving versus Virginia involved legalizing interracial marriages. And Thomas is, himself just happens to be in an interracial marriage, so... I'm sure there's no conflict there, right? Look, we don't need to rehash all the details about why this case may be a canary in the proverbial coal mines of progress. If you want to know more about that, uh, I would suggest you listen to Katie Halper's episode with Samuel Moyne, uh, or the first episode I ever did of this podcast, uh, which is Row, 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 You're Fucked. But what I wanted to emphasize today was this. The Supreme Court's supreme authority is and has always been a fiction, 
a power it granted itself outside the express language of the Constitution. Its actions and motivations have always been highly political. Its insistence on originalism has always been hypocritical. And its ability to enforce its own orders on its own, a paper tiger. And that's all I got to say about that. Let's take our first caller, Andrew. All right, Andrew, go ahead and unmute yourself. You are live on the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. What's going on? Heck yeah, man. Everything's good. How are you? I'm good, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the, uh, uh, the enthusiasm. <laughs> it's good to be live, man. I'm yeah. happy to be alive. How are yeah. you? And you know, you're putting a lot of passion into what you're doing. I like that. I like people with passion. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks. What, uh, what caused you to, to tune into the show today, Andrew? Well, my friend Grant Stern told me I should get on uh, call-in, so I got on, and I started listening to all the shows. You're uh, one of the only shows on, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. uh, you're very passionate, so it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's a, still a pretty new app, so people are still uh, you know filtering in and uh experimenting with it and everything but i've i've been having a lot of fun with it man a lot of fun that's cool where'd you go to law school uh university of illinois champaign urbana nice yeah yeah i like corn so i'm just a corn boy you know how it goes uh but yeah what uh what else is going on in your life (laughs) i'm in beautiful arizona it's sunny oh what part of arizona I'm near Scottsdale. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a great area. Are you are you trying to go to the Grand Canyon, or are you out there to? That's no, somewhat. Yeah. Okay. I live here. It's just beautiful out here. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm from Florida, and everybody says how beautiful Florida is, and I I love it here. I mean, Florida yeah. is beautiful, but it's like yeah. you got the mountains, you got the cactuses. It's nice yeah, here. yeah. I I I still think, um, to me, driving through Sedona is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Uh, which is the way the, the light will hit the rocks and the, just the, the, the geography of it, the, you know, the sky gets this like perfect shade of pink and it's really one of the most beautiful things I've, I've ever seen when I was, cause I, I went out there for a deposition once and just happened to, uh, I think I was down, I may have been in Scottsdale. I can't remember exactly where the deposition was, but I had to drive up North to, uh, to get to the Grand Canyon. Uh, but I had to pass through Sedona, and that's an experience I'm never going to forget. So I, I agree that Arizona, you know, love for my Florida people, but Arizona is a beautiful, beautiful state, man. Bro, Sedona's part of why I moved here. The oh, energy yeah. is so freaking good. Yeah, Sedona's solid, super solid. You know, it's vibes. It's 100% vibes. You, know. you have good taste, man. Oh, you know, I try. I really do. <laughs> I try, but honestly, it, to me, like someone who went through Sedona and was like, "This sucks," would I, that would be more of an indication of poor taste than my, <laughs> you know, than my liking it being, you know, good taste. But listen, if you say Arizona to everybody, they're not going to necessarily tell you Sedona. So, you I know, guess that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but hell yeah, man! I, uh, you got anything to say about? This Roe v. Wade overturning or anything like that? You got any 
Any thoughts about it? Any feelings, I'm, or is it just? To be honest, I'm I'm happy about it because I feel like uh, it was getting extreme. People were trying to introduce bills to the like saying that uh, they can kill babies up to the point of birth. It's just too much. Uh, I, you probably disagree with that. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to argue or anything. But since you asked, yeah, I, I think I, I'm. I'm kind of happy about it. But uh, I don't. I don't want to argue with you. You can tell me I'm wrong or whatever. Or you can no, say, that's okay, yeah, man. You're allowed. You're, you're allowed to have your opinion. I guess. I guess the thing that I worry about with an opinion like this, and with a lot of the opinions that are coming out of the Supreme Court lately, is. You know, people can agree or disagree on when, you know, when life begins or anything like that from like a, you know, abortion standpoint. But I I think it's, I don't like the idea of a court that can take away someone that we know as a person, their bodily autonomy. I think that's a bad precedent to kind of set. And a lot of these, I don't know how much you know about these other laws that are coming out in you know places like Mississippi and Missouri and Louisiana with these they have the basically these trigger laws that are outlawing all forms of abortion at any stage uh immediately and i think that's actually going to do a lot more harm than good um but yeah i mean you know like i i respect you uh keeping it buck and just saying <laughs> You know, saying what you really, uh, how you really feel about shit. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, I think um, we got a couple other callers here. I'm going to probably talk to some of them and, and see what we can get going. But um, you got any final thoughts? Any yeah. final requests or whatever? Uh, cheers. Keep, uh, <laughs> keep the vibe high. And uh, thanks for having me on, bro. For sure, man. Thank you for calling in, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. You got it. All right, cheers. All right, Kevin, go ahead and unmute yourself. You're on. Bud, what is up, my man? Oh, shit. It's Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's going on, man? What's happening? Nothing, man. Just sitting here listening to your awesome podcast. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Is Mo there with yes, you? So, yes. Yeah, she's sitting here and she had a question, but my question's better, so I'm going to ask Mo. Well, we're just listening to this podcast because it's one of the only ones on. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I go. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who, uh, I, I guess, are fans of the show or, or remember the second episode, uh, it's uh, Mo is on, my, my younger sister, and this is Kevin, her her dude. <laughs> yep, I'm just a dude. Um, yeah, well, I think first I'd like to say I really enjoyed listening to your interaction with the last caller. I thought you guys had different opinions, but you guys really hashed it out well. And I like that. I really, I don't know, seems like in the age of the internet, you don't see that that much. So that was good. more of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to hate someone for having a different opinion. That's because you're a good dude. But besides that, um, what I kind of wanted to get at was, you know, you did a good job at the beginning of the podcast laying out 
the flawed institution of the Supreme Court. Um, and, you know, I think we all can accept that our government is just basically an amalgam of flawed institutions. Um, but, you know, what really concerns you more, the fact that our institutions are this flawed or maybe the fact that, you know, we have probably about 20% of our country and our voter base that's, you know, so motivated to get their way that they're willing to take advantage of the flawed institutions um, and pretty much marginalize maybe the other 80% or so. Those are just ballpark numbers, but. Yeah, I think, um, and I'm getting a little echo, so maybe. Um, Sorry. That's yeah, okay. I, I don't forgive you. <laughs> um, so I think the, by the 20% of the country that's willing to enact their, their will on the 80%, you're referring to things like the, the concentrated movement to get these judges elected or not elected, but appointed, um, the sort of concentrated effort to try to, uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, and I think, I think in a lot of ways, those two things are related. Uh, Honestly, I'm more concerned with the lack of access people have to democratically participate, uh, to advocate for themselves and for, you know, the degree to which so many of our institutions are susceptible to basically being taken over by either special interest groups or people who are seriously politically motivated and, uh, used in such a way to where they oppress others. Um, I don't really think you can have a functioning democracy if that's, if that's how your government functions. Uh, you know, part of me is a little jealous of the Federalist Society right now, to be honest. Uh, because they, you, you can say whatever you want about them, and I've said plenty about them, but to over the course of basically 50 years to just chip away and chip away and chip away and to write laws that are going to be right in the, the zone that they need to be, to be likely to have uh, be challenged constitutionally. Uh, that takes an organized effort. It's a very concentrated effort. And I just sort of wish we had more political organizations like that for that were focused on, you know, giving people access to health care or giving people uh, enough to actually live or getting people a say in their workplaces. Um, you know, it just kind of sucks. I do think, you know, I think the Supreme Court's kind of showing its ass right now in how political it's been acting. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how necessary they are, to be honest. I really don't. Because a lot of other countries function without them. And there have been times in history where the Supreme Court's kind of been a bulwark for, um, you know, more, uh, you know, I guess leftist movements. But a lot of the times it's 
it's kind of enforced the existing power structure and actively hindered progress. Uh, you know, I didn't even get into the, the Plessy versus Ferguson ruling where the court literally says that there are no laws which the white, that for the black man, which the white man is bound to respect. Uh, I didn't talk about, you know, the Dred Scott case or Korematsu, uh, where we basically, the Supreme Court justified internment camps for Japanese Americans during World War II for really no reason. Um, I, I, I guess I'm just, I'm in a point to where I'm really questioning the legitimacy of that institution in particular. And it's disheartening to see them engaging in the sort of political activism that they're engaging in right now. Uh, I think they should probably not exist, you know, like, I think we'd probably, I mean, like I, I'm willing to hear other arguments, but the way they've currently been acting, the way that they're so willing to take away rights of people, like millions of people, uh, I think is, uh, Frankly, it's it's there's not a good reason for it, especially since their power of even doing that is, like I said, illusory. It's a power it gave itself back in the 1800s, which uh, the other two parties or the other two uh, branches of government have just kind of gone along with. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I think or I think you raised a ton of good points there. Um but I guess the follow-up question, you know, you said a couple times just how political the courts get in um, and how that's kind of just really undermining its legitimacy. Um, do you think, you know, if our country was able to, you know, by an act of God, because I don't think anything else is going to get it done, but if we were able to shift to something other than a two-party system, um, you know, do you think that would might ease some of that politicization of the court? Or what's your opinion there? I, I'm a hundred percent for shifting away from a two party system. Anything that opens up avenues for other ideas uh, to to get us out of this f- fucking false dichotomy that we have between these two parties that serve the same corporate masters would be great. Uh, that being said, I, I'm not sure how much of an effect it would have on the court. It depends, you know, because the court, the, the for those of you who don't know, or I mean, like everyone really probably knows how uh, justices are assigned to the Supreme Court, but they have life tenures. Um, they're appointed for life. They're nominated by the president at the time. And the president at the time then presents them to Congress who uh, gives their consent and approval or not. So they vote to either confirm the justice or not. And I, I don't know if opening up the two party system changes the fact that, you know, if we can have multiple parties, maybe we get more diverse candidates or more uh, ideologically diverse candidates for nomination. If one of those people becomes president, from one of you know, if someone outside the two mainstream parties becomes president and nominates a a justice that other people wouldn't think of, but uh, you know, I I still think you run into those same problems. You run into the life appointment, and uh, you know, I guess I'll play devil's advocate. There is a the reason for the life appointment 
at least the idea behind it is once the court, once you've been chosen as a member of the Supreme Court, you don't want to be able to be swayed politically. So you don't want to have to run another campaign. You don't want to have to be elected at a different time or whatever. Uh, when you're there for life, you just have a job security so you can just do your job without any political influence. That's that's one of the main reasons why, uh, at least theoretically, why life appointments are made to the Supreme Court. But I don't know. I It doesn't change the fact that it's one of the least democratic institutions that we have. And there are times, don't get me wrong, and this will probably get me in trouble with some of you in this call, but y'all just, just be cool, okay? I swear I have a reason for it. There are times when democracy is not what you need. The tyranny of the majority kind of situation, right? Like, if you had voted in the 1800s, I guess, or the 18. 18- 50s or something for people to free to slaves. And, you know, I I don't think that would have gone over well as a vote. I think my ass would be a slave. <laughs> Honestly, like it's, it's, there are times when you have to save people from the tyranny of the majority. I mean, like a great example of that right now would probably be trans rights. Um, I don't know what public opinion polls are for trans rights, but if the degree to which they're shit on in the kind of public sphere openly is any indication. Uh, There are times where you don't want to put that to a democratic vote because the right thing in that situation is to protect the minority group, protect trans people. Uh, So, you know, democracy is not always the end all be all of everything. And there are some logical reasons why you would want institutions that are not democratic but that will protect the lives and, and uh, rights of, of people. But I don't know how much of an effect opening up a multi-party system would have on the Supreme Court. Okay, I want to go now. Okay, do it. So I guess just to your last point about the democracy and how maybe that's not always what we need, um, I, it makes me think about what you said kind of earlier where, you know, we need more access for people to be able to exercise their right to vote. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, perhaps democracy is the right approach, but because of our flawed systems that are kind of barricading certain people from voting, and, you know, even now, all these states passing these, like, voter restriction laws, um, I don't know. It just makes me think like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that maybe democracy is the issue. I just think that like, we don't always operate as a democracy. And you've kind of brought that up multiple times in the, in, in previous podcasts. Um, but I don't know. What do you think about like just who is voting and who has access to vote and who is also like encouraged to vote or like, you know, yeah, just has has fewer barriers to vote. I don't know. Do you think that would make a difference? For the Supreme Court? Yeah, or just like, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for these to kind of dismantle this two party system and also start to 
kind of see more of legislation and people in positions of power that are representative of the kind of like distribution of, of different ideologies across America. Yeah. I, well, I, I'll put it this way. I definitely think opening up people's access to vote and opening up a system for more than two parties would absolutely have an effect on legislature. Um, would absolutely have an effect on some of the people who would get elected potentially. And I'm not, you know, electoralism, we can have this whole argument about it and how effective it is, but I do think that would make electoralism a lot more effective. Um, do I think that it would really change the nature of the Supreme Court? Not as much, no. Again, they're nominated by the president. So whoever the president is gets to pick the nominee. Uh, right now it's Joe Biden. <laughs> so, like, that's not, you know, and it, it was just Donald Trump. So <laughs> already the people doing the selection for that, you know, it's not like a, 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 the justice is already no longer democratically selected. You know what I mean? There's no, like, consensus ballot initiative or there's no like ballot initiative for people as to who should be the next Supreme court justice. Um, but once that nominee is picked, the, the people in the legislature then get to vote on it. So again, this is the Supreme court is already sort of insulated from democracy. Uh, you could, I mean, there's, there's a whole argument of, well, they, the president's democratically elected. Yeah, that's true. But like, I'm talking direct implication democracy, direct participation. When I go and I vote for my senator or for my uh, my representative, I, I d- vote directly for the person, for the candidate. Uh, that's not how the Supreme Court is. And only a constitutional amendment changing that process would actually open that up, um, open up that uh, would, would make it like a democratic process. But for now, I, I don't see that changing much. Okay. Thank you. We're gonna, we're gonna hand off to the next people. Okay. Nice talking with y'all. Thank Thanks you, for listening. Bud. Yeah. <laughs> good talk with you, Kevin. All right. Be good. Bye Mo. Yeah. Later boss. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Oh, family. You see, when you're here, you're family. All of us, family. Speaking of family, coming up next, you know her, you love her. It's Shelly. Let's go. Hi, how are you? Hey, what's going on? I'm doing okay. You doing good? Eh, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, see, the thing is, is like, I knew it was coming. Like, this did, it didn't, mm-hmm. even before the leak, I knew it was coming. So it's not like it's really shocking. I. <sighs> Shelly, am I stupid? Like, mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about my politics and thinking about my political journey and kind of how I got here. And I've, I, I'm, I've always been, for a long time, I've always been the guy like, oh, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. I've always been the, oh, that will never happen guy. And now I just feel like a big, fat dick. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like just a complete, like, how the fuck did I miss it? And that... That don't worries fuck, don't me. Don't fuck anyone with that big fat thing. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm getting fucked by the big fat dick. That's what it is. <laughs> like constantly. That's that's basically my political journey is just constantly getting fucked by bigger and fatter dicks until 
<laughs> until I wind up here. I mean, honestly, it's, I feel so dumb. I feel very dumb from both the leak, I, from the actual opinion. I mean, and the thing is, this opinion did not change much from the leak. It is just yeah, as bad. That's what I, that's what I kind of understood. Yeah. It's fucking bad. Shelly, this is a bad, bad opinion. And like, Justice Thomas's concurring opinion is so fucking bleak. Like that it's, groomer? Yeah, yeah, whatever he is. Is he a groomer? Is that what he did yeah, now he too? He wears a dress at work. So he's oh, a okay. <laughs> I see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I I think it's so like it's it's really bad. I don't want to be like I don't want to be the guy now who's being an alarmist because look just from, I guess, for a little more historical context, Justice Thomas is often, like, the guy who writes a concurring opinion, but, like, no one gives a fuck about. Like, that's kind of been his whole career on the Supreme Court, for the most part, is, like, he'll write some kind of opinion, and people will be like, oh, that's some wild shit, and then no one will, it will never come to pass. Wait, wait, but can I ask you a question real fast? Because yeah, go for in it. Those, like, in those, like, concurring or dissenting opinions, mm-hmm. does that not... If I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, does that not like potentially set precedents for other decisions in the future? Like those decisions can then be drawn on to help decide other cases. So the only authority that concurring opinions and dissents have is persuasive authority. They have no binding effect on any law. They are not law. They cannot bind courts below them or on the same level, whatever. But if you think that an opinion is wrong or you think that the reasoning is wrong, a concurring opinion basically gives you the opportunity to say, hey, I agree with this result, but I think your reasoning is wrong. Or I would like to alter your reasoning a little bit, and here's why. And it, 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 and uh, a dissent is obviously, I think the opinion is wrong, I think the, I think the decision is wrong, and here's why. And now you might wonder, why do people write dissents and concurring opinions? Mostly to set up lawyers in the future who might want to challenge some shit or who might need some reasoning. Or basically, sometimes, shit, some people will write dissents just for their own legacy and be like, I was not a part of this. Like, just I want the history books to know that this reasoning is fucking bullshit and I'm not part of it. So... The concurring opinion has no legal binding effect. It is not law. The only thing that is law is the majority opinion written by Alito. But and that's if, bad enough. But If that's the case, then isn't like Clarence Thomas basically leaving like cuckoo breadcrumbs for people to follow? That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I would say I'd say he is. That is pretty effective. Like, he hasn't just been sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. He's been writing cuckoo breadcrumbs. He has. But this this cuckoo breadcrumb, these ones are so explicit that I, I have. He's yeah, always been, like, the worst case. justice to me. He's always been, like, the most political, the most, like, the least, uh, like, at least, like, Scalia, when you read some of his opinions, he sounds like pretty smart or whatever, even though he's a fucking dumbass. Like, no no offense to Scalia, but he's a fucking dumbass. <laughs> I don't know if you could say no offense and then call someone a dumbass. I don't know if that, that works. But, yeah. But, I, you know, that's kind of how... I don't know. Uh, 
Well, no, I, I, well, yeah. number one, I don't think that anyone should sit there and be like, oh, I've been dumb. Oh, I've, you know, that that's a wrong way to look at it. You know, we've we've been propagandized to really kind of believe in these institutions and we wave the flag and, you know, everyone taught like, you know, we can just like, <gasps> and like freak out and wave our hand over decorum and being polite. And I mean, that, that was half of, of, of like all the liberals issue with Trump is he was so rude. Um, yeah. The decorum you know, aspects. Kind of embarrassing yeah. Embarrassing to the institution itself and kind of made a mockery of the institution. And so then I think that's one of the reasons why they're mostly mad at him because they're not doing anything differently, like foreign policy wise or anything like that. Right. Um, and, and in fact, the Biden administration, I can't remember which things, but they they seek to defend Trump on a bunch of the dumb shit thing that the liberal media is like. Or, you know, <sighs> yeah. Saying, oh, he could go down for that. So it doesn't really seem like there's much opposition. It's just that they mostly didn't like that he was embarrassing and that then you have all these people calling out, you know, how this is wrong and all this other type of stuff. And they just want to sweep, sweep that stuff under the rug because if you get like a polite person in there, they can do the same wrong stuff and everyone's just going to, you know, go along with it. Yeah. And he just he just kind of put a lot of heat on the office. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't really know. But I, um, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Like, what do you think about this? Um, and this isn't really necessarily a Supreme Court thing, but as far as like a, a democratic thing. Okay. okay. What if what, what if it was that like our house, like our house writes a bill, right? Oh my God. Did we get married? <laughs> Do we have a house together? Yeah, married. Oh my God, Shelly. You're in the other room. No. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so. We write a bill. The yeah. house. Okay. Okay. And then, like, instead of the bill just being voted on by the House members, like, you can take that, like, proposal, and then, like, like people can get together, talk about the proposal, offer, like, some referendums, you know, some changes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, like, just everyone. Any, anyone that lives in the country can kind of put their two cents in. And then, you know, the House can go back and rewrite it. Um, And then what if then it goes back to the people and the people say yes or no? Yes, you've rewritten this correctly. No, you haven't written this correctly. And it can go through, you know, a couple of edits that way before we feel like we get it right and then it passes. Logistically, it sounds like a little bit of a nightmare. Mm Mm-hmm. From a democratic standpoint, it sounds good. They, and some bills actually have a process that's kind of like that. I mean, this is uh, how in the weeds do y'all want to go here? Do y'all want to know? Well, no, what, but I'm talking about like that's actually yeah. like part of the legal like thing. Like they have it's not just like some bills. It's like the bills that get passed. That's sort of like the process, and then yeah. they have to at least like address the proposals and stuff. So it, the idea sounds good. I'm not going to shit on it. I'm not going to shit on it right now. But here here are some of the realities of how bills are kind of passed today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see drafts of all the bills that they're thinking about passing whenever they're proposed on the floor of the House yeah. or the Senate. Uh, I've done this, uh, both for my job and just because I'm fucking, uh, you know, like I'm, I want to just see what's going on. I'm curious. 
<laughs> but like you, you can actually see the text of bills and then you can actually comment for a lot of these. Well, if it's a regulation, you can actually comment there. They, it's actually, they have to actually present the regulation that's actually being presented for uh, public comment. That's, part of administrative law. It, it has to have some process of that. So there's already a process of that for administrations. Um, and by administrative law, I mean things like the EPA and these agencies that are technically under the executive branch that pass regulations. Those aren't laws, but they have basically the effect of laws. And there's a different process for passing those regulations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not, regulations are always like below laws. So laws are supersede regulations. Uh, But for uh, at least like public comment for laws, I mean, I guess the problem now is that you can comment on the text of a bill if you know how to. I I don't, what you're proposing is kind of like an official process of making the bills available for public comment and then a process to submit like, I don't know. Comments Proposals. for those bills? Proposals, changes, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. I just think that a lot of people, for good reason, think that a lot of that shit is boring. It's really yeah. boring. Like I I there you know, like even I'm sure that some of you um that there were moments when I was talking about the history of Marbury versus Madison where your eyes were glazing over, right? Yeah. And but that's important for me from from a legal standpoint it's really important to know those kinds of little like like the devil's in the details of that shit right and i don't have you ever seen like a bill like just a text of a bill mm-hmm. or a law yeah oh yeah it's 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 a nightmare mostly because it's written by like lobbying groups and shit and they're not I, – I have a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I think to some extent, I think they make – this is almost like um, the financial sector, right? I think that sometimes people are writing these bills to be so obtuse and so unintelligible to your basic just person because they want – they don't want people to – know how to interpret these things or to comment on them or anything like that. Oh, no, no, I, 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 I absolutely agree. But, but also sort of in this hypothesis, that's not really allowed. Okay. So you have to write clear bills. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of that. Okay, I, I, cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, let you know, that is Cuba and China's uh, popular consultation process. Oh, it is. <laughs> yes. Do they, uh, we, okay, Shelly. Do we do it now or do we do it later? No, I gotta. No, no. I, no, because you're gonna you're gonna have to actually watch some. Like you're gonna have to like. I'm gonna give you at least a couple of things that you know just to kind of read up on so that we could talk about it. You know. Okay. I just. I still have a hard time believing that a single party government <clears throat> is actually offering like a single party government that already restricts speech. Yeah, yeah, but but they're they're is going to allow you to actually comment. Their you know? national assemblies, their national assemblies are done by election. 
Okay. So they have sort of like a house system that's done by election. And also there's not any money involved in it. It's basically like in whatever area they like post a photo, post their policy positions. Like there's no advertising or any type of, you know, campaign donations or ads or anything like that. People just, and most of the time, because they have like a whole lot of local organizations that people already know those people, you know, so right. people are pretty familiar with who they're, who is locally going to be running for office. They get selected. And there's also a process of recall at any point. It, okay. You can just have the community get I, together and go, we want to recall this person. There are the processes that are in point that are in place that I can agree with. And then there's the actual execution of them. And I do, I don't know. We'll get into it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, but I just wanted to, uh, to me, whenever I hear that type of thing, I'm like, you know, I have never been given any option. Like I can show up and like vote yay or nay on some like weird fucking legalese. Right. You know, and then it's like people get so because they're so disconnected from government, it's like whenever they leave those comments about those things, it's, it's literally just going to be some guy screaming into the wind about, yeah, you know, a conspiracy theory and telling the government it's crap because they don't actually there there isn't anything like they don't actually think that the government's going to take your comment seriously or anything like right that. right and so for uh, for us and our experience i feel like we would just assume that a lot of it would be that way but if it was structured from the ground up in a different way maybe we would really get into it you know shelly do you know what do, do, do you know what my my kind of hell is reading the Roe versus Wade decision over and over again? It's, well, it's, it's related to that. It's, I, ah, uh, this gets, okay. I'll, I'll try to describe it to you because I, I think at this point we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I trust you and I, I would like to hear your thoughts on it and then I'll move on to other callers. And then yeah, maybe yeah. you can call back because, you know, I can, you know, we could talk forever about whatever, um, here's, here's where I find myself in a weird way is there's a lot of part of why I have moved more and more into socialist politics is because I think people should be able to be taken care of by their governments in large part, or should have certain rights without having to give a shit about like going to law school and learning about the importance of Marbury versus Madison. <laughs> learning the little bits of minutia. Because part of me actually did this shit because I was interested. Part of me did it because I needed a job. But part of me, like, I, clearly I have some kind of, like, fucked up brain that makes me a little bit of these details I, I really do get into. I really care about. But to me, the ideal sort of world is one where people don't have to care about that shit if they don't want to and i i'm i i find myself at in a weird place of like how how much do people my, my i would like to make more people like socialist curious or communist curious you know like i would like them to get into that but some of it you know is so I mean, I was talking with Cynthia the other day when we were talking about reading theory. It's, I guess I'm trying to figure out how much of this is actually necessary for people to know 
And I'd really love to hear from everyone who's listening. Like, how how helpful was this episode? <laughs> is what I'm basically trying to say. Okay. How much is it necessary for me to go into the history of Marbury versus Madison? I um I I no, so number one. You, we don't currently live in the opposite type of system that we're proposing. So it still matters because that's our reality. Like you, you have to fight the battles that you're presented with. You have to fight for progression past those things, but you still have to fight on the grounds that you're given. Right. Yeah. So it is important yeah. in that that's way. True. If, if literally, if we don't have, any people that engage in the bourgeois lawyerism and all that other type of stuff that even have a basis in sort of like thinking differently and thinking about different systems, then you have no, then you have no one there to even try to come right. back and try to formulate a way forward. Right. So yes, that stuff is important as far as socialist theory, like, you know, cause you always get the, the bros and, and I'll do it too. So every now and then I'm like, Oh, you can read this. But like, as far as the read theory stuff, not everyone has to read theory, but most of the time you kind of have sort of like the, the, the vanguard are the ones that are kind of reading a whole lot of the theory and sort of developing sort of the pamphlets and, you know, that type of stuff. And then they do the mass line thing where they take it to the masses and then people go, ew, gross. And then you, mm-hmm. you bring it back and you, and you try to reform and you try to take the right line. Yeah. That's acceptable, but also doesn't allow, doesn't let you go backwards. Like just because right. a couple of people are like, "Ew, icky trans," you, you know, you go, oh, "Okay," and then you try to do some political education. That's that's mostly like the idea of the vanguard party, right? Right. You know, um, so no, not everyone has to read theory, and also your you you being able to navigate the bourgeois systems, understand them, and then give them back to essentially the working class in a very digestible thing is a form of political education. It's exactly the type of thing that a communist vanguard party would do. You are just trying to break down, Hey, here's that, here's how the bourgeois is fucking you. And so yeah. it's very important. I, I mean, that's, that's where I'm starting to see my, my place in a lot of these things. Um, because, you know, I'm not from like my, my parents worked for, for a living. I'm not, I'm not from money. I'm not from, whatever status or anything, but like I've come up to a point where I've, you know, now on a day to day, if I'm going into the office or something like that, the people that I'm dealing with are, you know, they're not like the bourgeois bourgeois, but they're the people who work for the bourgeois and provide like a service for the bourgeois that they find, uh, valuable enough to pay, uh, you know, pretty high wages for. And it's, I do feel like there is, I don't know. I feel like what, what you're saying is true there. I I do want to deconstruct some of these systems and help people understand them and navigate them to the extent that I can. Yeah. Either navigate them, point out the hypocrisy and anything like that. And also, just before you move on to Dane, um, Ingalls was a class trader. Fred yeah, Ingalls, yeah. I, I, so. I like to think of myself, even though Ingalls was had way more money than than I do. Yeah, uh, Ingalls literally was a capitalist. He wasn't a capitalist, but he was a, of that class. He owned fucking textile factories. 
But I think Ingles is one of the realest motherfuckers to ever do it. Period. Oh, I think funny. I think he's I think he's a real one. And I like that. Like I like class traders. I I want to hang out with them, you know? Like I would I would I'm starting to think of myself as more of an Ingles. I don't know what that I mean like obviously not nearly as useful. <laughs> You know, I tell a lot of dick jokes and whatever. That's I'm sure that has a use, but but I bet he told a dick joke every now. And you know what? I hope they did. I, it would make me want to be more communist. Is that stupid? That like no, it's not communist. you tell I mean, me it's a, not stupid. Like that's that's literally that's that's kind of the reason why I've I've had some of these instances where like when everyone is freaking out over that like Felicia Somnes nonsense, where mm-hmm. I'm just like it's partially funny. Like if you don't get the fact that like like part of like calling each other out and like kind of being a little bit crass. It's a little bit part of the working class. And so whenever we see all yeah. these people like wringing their hands over this lady, this, this lady who's literally never. And I think I went yeah. on a huge show and I said this, I'm talking about like this lady sitting there and talking about being like oppressed and, and offended and insulted. And then I was telling right. you, I was like, and I bet you whenever that bitch went by Starbucks, she sneered at the barista, the working class person. And yeah, you know, treat I bet like she that. did. I bet she did. You know, so like, why do? And so, why is it that every single time we discuss these these people like this, Dave Weigel, Felicia Somnes, and we're going to get all up in the air about it? Working class people don't care about it. Working class people don't care about January the sixth. That's the, and like the Democrats still haven't figured this out. I mean, yeah. they don't care about January the sixth because they keep saying like, "Oh my God, our democracy is under threat." What democracy? It's not the working class. Right, democracy. right. You guys right, are all right, worried right. about this vaunted institution, and you're being like, "Why don't people care about this?" Oh, they're deplorable. Oh, they don't care. They just, right. you know. And it's like, no, you sit in a fucking old building surrounded by all types of things that can protect you. You can shout people mm-hmm. down whenever you're in any place. Like Nancy Pelosi is just like asking you for fundraising and then they get a little bit threatened and you think people care. No, working class people don't care. They're threatened every day of their lives. Yeah. That's the reason why we don't care about things like January the 6th. Or Felicia Samas. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you, you, you make some good points. You make some really good points. Yeah, and, I, and maybe I'll call back. Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool. Thanks for talking with me, Shelly. Uh-huh. Yeah, All right, always a pleasure. All right, really excited to take the next caller. Dane, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Hey, hey, bud. How you doing? Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate yeah. it. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. It's It's been an entertaining show thus far. A lot of good commiseration and a lot of good... Uh, 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 solidarity going on in the conversation, even among people we don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, I just have a, I have a few couple, a few, uh, a couple few points, as Tony Soprano might say, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that I want to run through really quickly. I, I won't take up too much of your time. First and foremost, I wanted to touch upon your uh, opining about the the importance of not having judges be democratically accountable just because you don't want them being thrown out of their chairs for not making what are contemporarily popular vote, unpopular rather votes at the time, which I completely understand with and agree. You don't necessarily like, 
want to leave someone's civil rights up to the whims of the general public and say, you know, Alabama in the 1930s, something of that Yeah, nature. sure, sure. Yeah. At, the, at, the, at the same time, I do think it's good to maybe discuss putting like a milk shelf life on judges, say, of about 10 years, just so they don't have their uh, the chance to uh, burrow their head into the, the court like a deer tick, as it were, you know, it, it, it's, it's easier to dislodge, you know, as image comes to mind of like trying to hold a lit match against Alito's ass, trying to get him to like <laughs> remove his pincers from the, the milky flesh of the nation <laughs> while at the same time trying to not set off the largest methane explosion that the nation has ever seen in its history, you know, right. knock, the, knock the Lincoln Memorial backward. Um, <laughs> uh, tangentially, uh, I don't know if this, this, this how, how common this knowledge is, but everyone, I, I presume on the call is familiar with the Oracle of Delphi, you know, the, basically the, the ancient Greek, uh, version of the Supreme Court, you'd go to them and then they would tell you the proper course of action to take in policy making or, you know, general life ethics, you know, sort right. of, sort of like the, uh, <laughs> sort of, sort of like the, uh, the, uh, uh, how should we say the, the Martha Stewart slash Clarence Thomas of their day, um, you know, it's sort of the, the all-purpose one-stop shot in, in decision making. Um, it's what's little known about that actually is the Temple of Apollo, where where she w- uh, did her uh, did her deeds was located right at the intersection of two tectonic plates, and and as a result, ethylene gas would waft directly into the temple on a regular basis. So basically, when people went there to listen to her proselytizing, what they were doing was hearing the ranting and babblings of a stoner. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of imagining a similar situation going on in the Supreme Court nowadays, <laughs> where, the, where the nine justices are lying in profession, doing nothing but inhaling Alito's Burger King big ones all day as he just puts impact craters into his taxidermy baby seal freaking judge chair, and that's how you come with away with the kaleidoscope imagination that means a phrase like domestic supply of babies. You know, just, I'm, I'm just... I'm I'm just trying to add a bit of maybe some of the grandeur back to the court that people are missing nowadays. You know, just just trying to do my part to make our own legends come alive. No, Um, they should. Let's leak that gas in. Leak that gas into the courtroom if it ain't already there. Because the, yeah, the shit yeah, they're doing, exactly. oh my god, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could find perhaps you know a, a rationalization, a justification outside of pure evil. Otherwise, <laughs> um, but to get to my get to the more uh, trenchant point that I was going to uh, eventually stumble into, as he said, I, I not, you know you had mentioned the importance about not necessarily subjecting them to democratic feedback, but I think a lot of the problem associated with the core today is a lack of accountability in general. The fact that they have a self-imposed ethics code, which means that Absolutely. there's no ethics, no ethics code at all, functionally speaking. The, the fact that uh, they, they, there's such a high bar to impeachment as well, you know, and AOC yeah. talks about impeachment, and it's an appropriate thing to talk about, but, they, but it's such a high hurdle to clear. There's, you know, even under the best of circumstances, the sort of Senate supermajority the Democrats will never get again that they once had under Obama, it would still be impossible even then. But I, I think a lot of the fact that the Supreme court is acting this way is due to you know the the self-realized reality that you know they're untouchable like al capone in a kevin costner movie and and they know (laughs) it you know 
and, and, Dane, and, and, you come with some and, fucking and, jabs, man. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but you know, and, and, and there's really no institutional framework in order to deal with that in a way that recognizes the rules as they exist today. You know, at, at least that's my point of view. I was interested in, in your ideas on, on that subject. No, I think, I think you bring up a really good point, and this has actually come up a lot in some of the discussions that are happening now from AOC and others, right? Is this a uh, code of ethics or whatever code of um, just behavior or, or some, some kind of any sort of anything rules, uh, a list of things that they're supposed to do that, that can make the court more accountable to a, a way of being a way of acting. But uh, I think the problem we're going to run into with that is again, like the who watches a watchman type shit. Like, it's who, if they have the authority, this unilateral authority, basically, to to regulate what's constitutional, what's not constitutional, and to regulate themselves, then where's the enforcement mechanism for the court? Um, how can you actually change what they, you know, how they're acting? Uh, you know, I think, honestly, I think... I think, to me, a more practical solution, because I don't disagree. I don't disagree with like giving them like a code of ethics or something like that. I don't. I'm not against that. But I think a more practical solution is for Biden to get like FDR and start threatening to expand the court to basically just challenge the Constitution as far as you can. Uh, do the things that you know you can do under it to basically force them to act right at times, right? Um, I think that's probably a more practical solution, and it also m- acknowledges the the reality of what the court is, which is, again, this political entity that is, uh, for the most part, unaccountable to people. And, I, you know, I, I do think one of the only people who the court would be accountable to is the executive. And if you look at the Marbury versus Madison case again, that whole case is based around a court having to be subservient or having to bend to the will of an executive. They did it in a very clever way that gave them a lot of power in the long run, but they couldn't come to a different decision in that case. I think that's what I take away from it, right? Jefferson is the enforcement arm of delivering that commission. If the court then says, well, uh, you know, you have to deliver the commission to Jefferson. He says, fuck you. And this has happened a couple times in history, too. I mean, it happened with Andrew Jackson, with the, actually, the, the Trail of Tears, which Andrew Jackson is a right cunt, like, straight up. Like, man, oh, that man. guy is a dick. That guy is uh, a dick. But, uh, but he, 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 um, he, uh, what's it called? Uh, he, he, what's it called? He, 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 he basically, uh, basically the court uh, said that the, court the said Cherokees that had a right to be where they were. Right to be where they were. And Andrew Jackson said, "Fuck them." Andrew Jackson said, "Fuck them." So, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I, can't, I can't remember the chief justice at the time. I'm sure it's something that you recall from your studies, but his, his quote, to paraphrase, was something along the lines of Chief Justice uh, X has rendered his opinion, now let him enforce it. Something along, something along those lines. That's correct, yeah. That's correct, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I, his name escapes him at the time. And, you know, I think that's kind of the problem when you talk about, like, like Jefferson being the enforcement mechanism, because in the vessel of Biden, that functionally means we don't have a, an enforcement mechanism. He's already written, you know, a, like, expansion of the court or it, certainly ignoring Marbury, you know, off the board entirely, you know, and the, the, the White House... And this is how you can tell that they're planning on losing on purpose on this issue is because they're sending Kamala out to do the media tours and, and they only send her out as, as a bulletproof vest when they know an issue's a loser. So, so they wanted to take the hit for it and that's why she's speaking in public. Whenever you see her speaking in public, you know that they're planning on losing immediately. Same with immigration, same with voting rights, you know, the list goes on and on. They're really setting her up for 2024, 2028. Yeah, she's, yeah, I mean, she, she volunteered for, she volunteered tiered for this Wonka, Willy Wonka ride herself, so, like, you know, I'm not going to take her agency away and say that, like, you know, she doesn't have a a part in it, but had she knew then what she knows now about how they're basically, you know, setting her up as the sandbag against the rising tide every single time, you know, I I wonder if she would have had more hesitancy than put herself in the current position that that she, she, she inhabits at this moment in time. The, the, the other quick point I wanted to make is, you know, with regard to um, you know, the institution and its inability to self-regulate and the fact that Biden, you know, isn't going to means no one's going to. So, you know, we're quickly approaching, you know, witch burnings and or, you know, tying cinder blocks to, you know, pregnant women's feet to see if they'll float when thrust and, you know, chucked in the Potomac once again, is that like Soda, Sonia Sotomayor in anticipation of this decision coming out, I think it was like the week before, like, like gave a public speech where she defended Clarence Thomas and talked about, you know, how he was, you know, a, a thoughtful legal scholar and, you know, how the, the institution, I think the exact phrase that she used, or I'm not the exact, but to paraphrase, the institution of the Supreme Court in the highest regard, you know, and that's something to be uh, respected. And that's how you know that, like, no matter what they decide, you're never going to get, like, the the internal mechanisms, certainly not the the ideological opponent justices on the Supreme Court, to do anything other than defend the bench that they inhabit. Like, you know, at the end of the day, these institutions, these processes are what's most important to them. And the outcomes are almost tertiary because they just take it for a given that these institutions and processes are inherently noble. It kind of reminds me like when uh, like America engages in like foreign wars of empire, how we're always like stumbling into conflict and things of that nature. Adam H. Johnson talks a lot about it, and I love his framing on the issue, that like, you know, the assumption is that we always have noble intent why we, while we might, you know, happenstance, you know, white phosphorus, a bunch of brown families, you know, that was never what we meant to do. We always wanted to just sp- spread freedom and democracy. And the same kind of standard I see being applied to the Supreme Court among institutionalists is like, you know, it's, it's, it's intentions, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, processes, it's, it's, uh, ideas and, and verb, it's inertia is inherently good, but it, it's uh, as a function of unhappy circumstance and a meteor falling from space that things might might not turn out for the best at any given point in time. But uh, I'll get off the call now and let Cynthia talk. Thank you, as always, bud, for letting me uh, speak my piece. It's, it's always fun. Always a pleasure to always have you. Always a pleasure. To Please have come you. back anytime. Please come back anytime. <laughs> and I guess the last thing I'll say to that is I, I like the Adam H. Johnson mention. Um, 
because a couple days ago, Adam H. Johnson retweeted something that uh, a guy named Nico Bowie uh, said that, that resonated with me, which is, our government is dominated by graduates of law schools, where they learn how liberal victories since 1954 have been won not by organizing, movement building, or legislating, but by arguing so persuasively that no judge can resist bending the arc of history towards justice. Suck my dick. Like, that is fucking insane. But that's exactly, that's ex- I don't know, that's, that's my law school experience in a large part. And everyone who's always on about critical race theory, fuck, I wish they would have taught us some more critical race theory in law school. Because maybe I could have actually seen that a lot of these decisions were a lot more political than, than they try to purport themselves to be. But anyway, Cynthia, thank you for calling in. How are you doing? Hi. Is it like, can you hear the loud-ass air conditioner, like, railing me in the face? Not really. I mean, okay. I can. you can kind of hear some, like, sweet air blowing in the back, but okay. it's, you know, it's, it's pretty pleasant. All right. I just don't want it to be too, you know, a cacophony of uh, sound rolling at you guys. Okay. Um, so I have a few dumbass questions. Um, cool. I have dumbass answers. So <laughs> no, I, good. Um, I'm so sorry to everyone listening who is a lot. Okay. I'm sorry to do my imposter syndrome shit, but I literally just like, I, I don't know very simplistic things and I am starting to learn those things. Um, but I, you know, I still find myself tripping over my own dick and caught up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to like, <laughs> When your dick's that big, I get it. Yeah. I get it. More dick jokes. Um, Okay. So, like, this is what happened. So, this is what Okay. So, I have a friend who we... I would like to do a show sometime where we could just talk about, like, the whole post-left alt-right horseshoe movement. Um, Because this is, like, exactly what's happened to one of my really good friends who's, like, a simp for the Red Scare podcast, if anyone knows what that is. And, like... people that are kind of in this weird space you know who like used to be kind of leftist and now they're like I hate woke shit so they're like on the right but they're not necessarily claiming that they're conservative if that makes sense yeah it does um it really like basically react like post-left reactionaries which really like hates me um because there's no principles, right? Like, there's no actually, like, foundational principles that guide any of their, like, philosophy or ideology. It's just, like, reacting to shit that makes them uncomfortable or whatever. Um, so, I, you know, we're having this conversation, and, I'm, and, and, you know, he calls me, and I'm like, oh, great. I have to talk to him about the, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade. What's he going to say? Is it going to be some dumb shit? And he was just like, well, I mean... I, I guess I just think that, like, if they're turning over to the states and those people in those states are predominantly conservative, that this is what they wanted, you know, per their electoral process. So before everyone's before everyone lets out like an exasperated sigh, I'm just OK, because I had I tried to talk to this to my friend who's like, you know, a PhD in political theory, very, very big theory, bro, like very, very smart. But I felt like when I tried to talk to them about this, they thought that I was raising those points, like parroting those talking points. I'm not saying that I agree with that idea, but I have to admit that when I hear that, I, because of the level of, you know, knowledge that I'm currently at, 
I think like, well, that's a good point, I guess. So tell me why that's not a good point. Or, or just, you know what I mean? Like, give me the rebuttal to that. Because when I talk to my po- like poly, you know, political PhD candidate friend, they just kind of like railed me with theory. And I was like, this isn't helping me. You know, they're just like, yeah. your point. Have you ever heard of like point of privilege theory? And I'm like, I just need like a straight, you know, what, you know what I mean? And I feel like you could maybe since, and especially since you have kind of like a, you have a lawyer law, <laughs> you know, kind of background and that you're not, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe you could just kind of help me wade through that, that thought process essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, also, also not with like this, like, it's because Republicans suck, you know, not like a simplistic. Yeah, life. that's not how I feel anyway. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I'm sorry, just before you, just before you answer, oh, yeah, my, sure. my thought is like, yeah, so in those states, did those people elect more people went to the ballot box and voted Republican and, you know what I mean? And they're predominantly conservative, like. Tell me where the lie is in, in that thought process. So the lie in the thought process, it's not even a lie. Like returning power to the states to elect to do what they want to do in those places, is that's not the lie. The lie comes from, and it, well, it's really a question. Okay. It's should people in states, I mean, like, well, look, replace the abortion thing with the trans thing. Yeah. And it becomes a lot clearer. Right. Like, should people be able to vote in a state that says, hey, trans people, you don't have rights? Hmm. Is that correct? Is that humane? And is that really what you want out of a democracy that's supposed to protect your rights? The problem is that there should be certain things that the state can't fucking touch Hmm. that no matter Hmm. what your politics are, people can't touch bodily autonomy to me is one of them. Don't fucking touch me, dude. Do not fucking right. touch me. Like, right. I don't care if you're the state. You better have a good fucking reason for being able to interfere with my bodily autonomy. You, have, you better have a good... Fu- like, every time everyone talks about this anti-trans legislation and everything like that, you better have a good fucking reason to tell someone that they aren't who they are. You better have a good fucking reason to do that. They don't. And that's the game. That's the play. Because you can convince people, especially when you have institutions like the church, and I, I, I have a complicated relationship with church, um, yeah. like I'm sure many of us do. But, but when you have an authority that can convince people about some shit, that's like stupid. It's the same thing with like racism or something like that, right? Should the majority of people in a, in a, in a, in a town in a city, in a state, be able to outlaw you being in a certain town past sundown because you're black. Mm. No, that is what I'm talking about when I call when I talk about the tyranny of the majority. It's when this is exactly what I was talking about when I say sometimes democracy doesn't work for certain situations. Now, do I believe people should have a say in their government and people like most institutions in every single way should be democratic? Yes, especially in the workplace. But the the idea is when we're dealing with fundamental rights of people, when we're dealing with their ability to exist unmolested, um, I don't want to put that up to democracy. 
there should be rights that certain people just cannot fucking touch. And that's the thing. Yes, they're returning this power to the states. But the states, listen, a lot of the people in those states who are going to be affected the most by this don't have the voting power, even if they could or all of them organize. You know, black people in Mississippi Delta, like, all you need to do is just look at that situation for a little bit and see that they're fucked. Like, they're in trouble. They're, they're, they've been in deep shit in that state for a long time, and things have not gotten better, and they have zero access to power. And it will, make, it will continue that way because the power structure that currently exists wants it to. And that is not a good reason to deny someone human rights. Majority rule over my bodily autonomy is not a good reason. Like, you know, on some real shit, like it's, it's like telling, it's like someone telling me who I can fuck consensually, you know, like what the fuck is it your business about who we can go out and, and consensually engage in adult relationships with? That's not your business. So when people say something like that, you say, you know, basically take a right that they have or something that they have and tell them, okay, I'm going to tell you, is it okay if the state decides who you sir or madam should be able to date Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. is it okay are you okay with majority rule doing that okay cool what about when you can um what you can eat and when you can eat it what about stuff like that that's really the problem here um and 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 there's a reason why minority rights are always targeted because you can get political points from targeting those minority rights and the minorities will not have the power to overturn you like scapegoats and all that shit work for a reason, right? You offer people a a solution. That's not really a solution, but you, you offer them an explanation and then you demonize a group of people who can no longer, who don't have the capacity to actually fight back. And that ends up being a really good formula for a lot of like bullshit ass politics. It's exploitation of their situation of their minority status. It's like it's it's something that's been done forever. And women are in that boat. I know they're a big group of people, but like the moralization of their bodies is fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. Like I mean like shit, just look at something like slut shaming. Yeah. Like <laughs> Think of a culture of slut shaming, right? And now think of a state that wants to limit the amount of partners that a woman can have. Yeah. That's the that's what happens. Like even if like a lot of women end up being like, "Yeah, you should have to do that." Like, I'm sorry, but when you're talking about someone's bodily autonomy, when you're talking about I, first of all, number one, I like sluts. So, let's just get <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Love right? Yeah. We are that's that's number one. That's freedom. Um, but then number two, it's like someone should not have that power over you mm-hmm. and democracy isn't always going to respect that. And sometimes if you're going to have a state or if you're going to have some kind of apparatus that has a monopoly on violence or at least a legitimate use of violence and the legitimate use of coercive forces, then those coercive forces, to the extent that they're used at all, should be used to protect that autonomy, should be used to protect those fundamental rights, um, regardless of what people vote. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, already in my mind, I'm drumming up these like rebuttals of like, well, what if like the states or, you know, like, like if someone's like, well, what if you made like marijuana, you know, legal federally? It's like, well, that, I mean, I said this to my friend, the, the first friend, the, the post lefty reactionary friend. I was like, well, the difference is like, like our, our side saying we grant you the freedom to make the choice. Their side is, you know, theocratic tyranny, which is like, you don't get a choice. That is correct. So that's, that's correct. Like, so if someone were to say, well, what if they made, you know, drug, like federalization of, or, you know, they, they made like, let's say marijuana and, you know, uh, psychedelics federally legal or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you don't, they're not forcing people to t- take drugs. <laughs> like, that's the difference. It's like, it's not taking away. Right. You're right. Right. Use, or, you know, to put something in your body, et cetera, and so on. It's, it's granting you the choice or the, or giving you the freedom. There's a very distinct difference there. I, I guess I get. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right though. That's. I had another question. All right, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> another constitutional or not constitutional question, but like government <sighs> question. So, um, you know, the, the Obama, the great, um, clip that's kind of making the clips that are making the 2007 Obama versus the 2009 Obama Mm -hmm. and so on. I am just preparing for the, um, for the arguments that I'm going to get into when I'm drunkenly hanging out with my, with my like normie lib Mm brother-in-law when he's going to say like, we had the majority, but the Republicans, we don't have like 60 votes in the Senate or what, you know, whatever to, um, to codify Roe or whatever. Like you have to have, like, I basically saw this argument going down in like the Instagram comments of some dumbass like shit lib. Sure. Thing. Yeah. So yeah. I just want, I just need some clarity to make sure that I understand and that it's not like basically in 2009 or when, when the Democrats had a super majority under Obama, um, they, they could have what, like they could have brought this, bill to the floor and but they wouldn't have had enough vote like what they would have to whip up votes or something like can you explain it so the the so sorry everybody i just like no no i was not into politics at this time it's okay it's okay girl you're doing good you're doing good and and my my political education is like school of rock like i'm just (laughs) and i'm like trying to go over the song oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well well so Here's the 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 end all be all really of that discussion. Um, I don't know if you just saw a mouse or something, but you know it's probably fine. You don't got to scream at the mouse; we'll be okay. Um, <laughs> oh uh, no, I fell off my chair. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, the, I guess the end all be all of the Obama discussion is is really to me like who had a better opportunity to bring that yeah. to the floor. Uh, like you could the unwillingness to bring something that you actually promised to do uh-huh. to the floor for a vote. That's the issue. Is a have. big issue. Number one, yeah. number two, like if it's going to fail, it would have been nice to know that it would fail right. by having done it. Right? right. And the other thing is too, when we look at like the political landscape as it is now, the chances of it happening mm-hmm. from having a supermajority of Democrats who are there is that's the highest chance you have of it happening. So so everything else that we do 
every every excuse that we're making for them not doing that uh look it doesn't it doesn't like the only way to really get out of that or or to for someone to still try to excuse obama from not doing that is um to offer up these what if excuses right um the man promised to do something specific Thanks, Shelly. He had the power to actually do the thing. Yeah. It didn't get done. So, so specifically speaking, there were a, a number of uh, seats that we had, right? But basically the lefties are saying, but you didn't even try. Like you didn't even put, you didn't even have like the energy and the guts and the balls and the ovaries to fucking get in there and try and like, whip up votes and make it happen. Like you just kind of sat back. Like that's the issue that we have with them. Correct. Is like, you just kind of sat back and didn't even try and didn't even do anything. So my conspiracy theory question is why, like, why, you know, why didn't they do anything? Is this like some house of cards, 40 dimensional chess? We're going to keep this in our back. you know what I mean? No, you're, that's the right question. I mean that's the right question. Dimensional chess or whatever. No, there was no strategy. It was it was. I mean, the cynic is he wanted the votes from the people to do the thing, and then he didn't follow through after he got the votes and was already in office. Was it that's just like must- see because at the t- like I'm just thinking of context. You know, right now everyone's big mad, but at the time where we just kind of like, oh, that's never. They're never going to overturn it. Like we were just kind of in disbelief that like, you know, anything this drastic would happen. I mean, I I was in dis- disbelief that anything this drastic would happen, but I it's 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 less. I think honestly, I think we should expect more from our political leaders. Right. I mean, look, if you're in office, if you're the president of the motherfucking United States of America, and you promise to do something, yeah, and you know it needs to be done, you should you should have the political will to at least try to get it done. Yeah. That's all. Like for for I'll shit on Biden all day, every day. But god damn it, he got us out of Afghanistan. Yeah, that was that was one great move. That is I will never criticize that move. Mm-hmm. Ever. I think it's too, like for as politically damaging as it was to him or whatever, sometimes you just do something because you have to do it, right? Like I won't criticize Trump for pausing student loan payments right no i'll never do that Mm -mm. hell yeah for that yeah yeah i'm into that 100 (laughs) percent. the one time yeah Yeah, that's it that's it but um but yeah i mean that's that's like don't don't let the um don't let the narrative be shifted to uh all of these what ifs and defenses of someone who had an opportunity to do something and didn't take it. Mm. Like, mm. as long as the conversation is like, hey, uh, one, who had a better opportunity? And two, uh, he promised he was going to do it and he didn't do it. Yeah. That's all, I'm, that's all I'm saying. No. You know, I don't need to continue making things, you know, more complicated than that. Well, I guess the last point is, um, sorry, filling up my water bottle. I'm trying to stay hydrated. Okay, um, go ahead. Yeah. Are you staying high? Are you drinking water? Are you meditating? Are you exercising? Who, me? 
I haven't done either the past two days. So yeah, yeah. I still try to exercise and drink water. I'm, tr- I'm drinking a lot of water. Out. We got to move our bodies and we have to exercise our minds as well. But um, yeah. no, the last point is just like okay, so yeah, like complacency. I'm just convinced that like no one's gonna do shit unless we're breathing down their neck. I mean, no one like they're not gonna do anything. Like you know, every every call in or show, you know, I just I hear the the. You know, everyone just saying, like, they don't do anything. I'm like, yeah, because, like, no one's forcing them. And I know that sucks. I know that's dumb. Because, like, we elect, you know, we elected them. We put them into office. So, like, why aren't you doing anything? That's your job. But, like, they're, I'm just convinced, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at the behavior. It's just, sorry, my cat. Um, You know, they're, they're not going to do anything if no one's forcing them to do anything as long as, um, they're comfortable, you know. A hundred percent, which is why we have to get them out of office and then force grassroots organization or, or have grassroots movements that actually apply pressure. Um, yeah. And. But, ha- but you know, well, yeah, I guess my best option that I'm finding is just to join some sort of local something. Yeah, right it's not, now I'm like, where do I go? Like, it's not a bad start. It's really not a bad start. That's a good place for it. And, you know, maybe we'll have an episode of just, like, just practical actions people can take to actually yeah. pressure power structures. Um, well, that's where I want to just kind of end is, like, I, you yeah. know, but, like, I think, again, I think it's good for us to, like, vent our frustrations, definitely. And I think there's space and time for that. But I also want to just, like, keep turning the conversation to, like, okay, practicality, intentionality, like, what yeah. can we do next and where can we go? So that we can like feel better about anything, <laughs> something, think, you know. No, I think that's that's a really good instinct. That's a really really good instinct. But I I really appreciate you calling in, Cynthia. It's cool to cool to talk with you. Thanks, bye. bye. Right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, everyone. I'm really excited for the next caller. It's been a family affair today. Uh, you heard from my younger sister Mo, uh, and now it sounds like you're going to hear from my older sister Lede. So, uh, Lede, go ahead and unmute your mic. It's uh, the little thing at the bottom. Uh, can you hear me? <laughs> what's, up? <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> hey, what's up? I, a, I actually have a... Hey, bud. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I know you've been... Eh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a black woman it's... in the United States right now, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, I got a, another special guest with me, though, here. Oh, who is it? But it's the one and only Maggie. Oh, no! What up, buddy? <laughs> Yo! What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> Are you ready? So you want to talk about Roe v. Wade today? Uh, yeah, that's what I was basically... T- I, the, the whole gist of the day is, like, the Supreme Court's power that it gave itself is a power that it gave its... Well, the Supreme Court gave itself the power to do what it did today. Um, yeah. It's not in the Constitution. Uh, they are. It's a completely political and subjective move, and uh, basically, the United States is fucking acting like dog shit. It's basically that's that's like in so many words is is what I've been talking about today. Um, okay. Well, by another day, we'll talk about West Virginia versus the EPA. Okay. Oh yeah, that's that's is that coming That is right a case yeah. that's coming up which yeah. will strip Congress of the ability 
to have any kind of authority to delegate anything from the federal government down to any sort of yeah more minor part of government and it will be a sad sad day if that is overturned do i feel like it will be based off the cult's decisions that they've been making in the last several days i do think that i really do think that it's going to be a terrible terrible thing yeah the environment's going to hurt the ability for us to make decisions based off of social social services is going to hurt. Yeah. More importantly, with Roe v. Wade, though, just as a woman, and I'm sitting next to your your older sister and one of my greatest woman looker upper twosers. Okay. Yeah. And it's <laughs> tough. This is so tough. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. It's it's, it's rough. Go ahead. I appreciate the context for the lens. That you are providing it, yeah. Um, kind of conducting this podcast, and I wonder if, as a woman, it might we, I might be able to get a little bit more personal with it. I think, obviously, your education and your own Advocacy. your own like deep dive into the function of politics makes you extremely qualified to talk about the legality and the systemic aspects to this. And I think it would be a disservice to leave out the personal effect because at the end of the day, the way that these systems are made affect people on a very personal level. And so I'm not sure if you've had any callers. I noticed there was a woman, perhaps, I don't want to assume gender, but on the last call. But have you had any type of um, feedback from that lens yet? I, I mean, most of the people, um, besides myself being a giant pussy, uh, to be able to talk about this. Um, Interesting choice of uh, <laughs> word in this context. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you're a yeah. giant dick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I was, I was going to say the, um, uh, we've had a couple people, like we've had different genders of people talk about it, but honestly, like for this podcast, most of us are kind of just resigned to it. But if you'd like to, you know, resign to it and sort of cynical. So, you know, I don't think people have really talked about the personal effect that this is going to have on them. But if you, you know, if you'd like to talk about it, the, the floor is yours. All right. As a woman or just as, as a black woman, as a person who... As, as, how about as Lede? Just yeah. talk, talk as you. Okay. Well, um, I was at work when I heard the news um, in passing that Roe v. Wade was overturned. I was about two minutes from going into a meeting. And I did what probably most people did and Googled it and saw that, in fact, it was true. And as I saw that, everybody was getting up to go to the meeting and I pretty much just sat there frozen and was really shocked. People that just like didn't pause for a second? Nobody paused. They just continued. I was I, I knew that. There was no way I was going to compartmentalize this moment in 30 seconds and go have a meeting about like a calendar. Yeah. Um, 
And so I just did not go. I went into my office and sobbed, turned off the lights and sobbed. Um, um, I felt (sighs) defeated and I felt a great amount of despair. I felt fear and anxiety. Um, a couple of years ago, I had to have a medical abortion. It wasn't a choice necessarily. Um, it was a necessity. a necessity. And, you know, being a 35 year old woman hoping to get pregnant someday, I'm already in a high risk group. And because I've already had a complicated pregnancy, the chances of that happening again are much higher. And so the fear of having to potentially carry to term or with, or with any or, yeah. complications living in the state I live, which is Indiana, um, is terrifying. And really it just, it was this moment of I've lived my whole life with this right. And now I'm in my midlife yeah. and it's been stripped away from me. Yeah in an instant. So it was an immediate sort of realization of the weight because I think you've probably been anticipating it since they leaked it. Honestly, I'm going to be honest, no. I really thought that there was absolutely no way that was actually going to happen. And that could be magical thinking, naivety. Yeah, no, I I thought that before the leak came out. Before the leak came out, I was like, there's no way this court is so fucking crazy as to actually do this but when the leak came out it uh, it seemed too real to well, me well by you and i were probably like and then anyways so so this is my pet parrot over here maggie you don't know what she's gonna say so I decided from there, I texted a female administrator was like, Hey, I'm not in a good place to come to this meeting. And she was like, well, one of the other girls brought wine, if that helps. What? And I was what like, actually it does it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say the name on the air, but I'll tell you later. Um, so <laughs> I was like, actually, I'm in my office crying right now. Um, I'm not coming in the meeting. So then I decided to go home. I had another meeting later that afternoon. I was like, I'm not doing anything for anyone except myself right now because I'm in self-preservation mode. So I met Mo, younger sister. We went and got our nails done and I painted them black. (laughs) Okay. Emo. (laughs) Yes. And and that's true. That's true. Fair. This is my, this is me protesting right now. Um, because I don't have the emotional capacity and energy to get as riled up as I was in 2016. Yeah. I feel like I still haven't bounced back from that, especially with the last few years and this collective pandemic and all the other things that have gone on. So like, there's been a lot, you've been me meeting this with anger and rage only is really not a healthy personal choice for me even though there is anger and rage can be important for mobilization um it ain't gonna be me this time all right so (laughs) everyone else 
that's where you are, awesome, more power to you. And when I was sitting in the chair getting my nails done, I noticed, you know, they had one TV that had the news on and it was muted, thank God. But the first thing I noticed was that literally the only people I saw commenting on it were men, particularly white men. And now they were saying things that I quote unquote agree with, but all I can think of in my mind is why are men talking on the fucking TV right now? Get your ass up and get one of your female coworkers in here and give them the airtime, give them the space. In my mind, if you want to be an advocate and support us right now, step the fuck aside and give us the mic. Give us the platform. If you're going to say anything or have an opinion, let it be reposted, re-whatever, stated, re-shared by a woman. I was very offended that men were exploiting this moment to share their own personal stance on it, especially the day of. So that's my idea. If men are like, how can we help? Give us the mic. All right. Step off. Give us the mic. Another way you can help. I had a male friend reach out and immediately started emotionally dumping about how angry he was about all of this and how fucked up and blah, 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 blah. About 10, 15 minutes into that, this person had never once asked me, how are you doing? How are you feeling? So like, guess what we're not here to do for all of you men who are pissed off is console you and counsel you through this. Go to a therapist, talk to other men about this, or at the very least, ask consent before you start emotionally dumping on us. I'm glad you're mad, but do I need to also hold your anger and my fucking grief at the same time in real time as this is unfolding? There is such a lack of awareness, even in the men who are saying they're beside women in this there is such a lack of awareness this is a deficiency and i would like to call that out right now please ask and every woman is going to need something different just ask ahead of time do you want me to just listen do you want me to react do you want me to match your emotions anger sadness rage do you want me to get out my checkbook and donate to an organization you know, what do you need right now in this moment? And that, and that's going to change moment to moment. But those are the kind of the two biggest things that I wanted to share. It's like, if you're a man right now, be intentional. Yeah, exactly. Maggie said microaggressions. These are microaggressions against women. You might think you're doing a great thing. But be conscious. But think about what you're doing. this is how it's being taken in, at least by Lede. You asked me to talk from Lede, so I'm not going to speak on behalf of all women. No, go for it. Yeah, I mean, but that's I, not, I, don't speak. Yeah, I like, I like hearing from Lede. Hey, hey, hey. Don't call my ancestors' names. Yeah. Don't, bring, don't bring the whole shit out. 
There are weirdos on the internet too, man. I ain't trying to have them come over here and look up Lede. I'm sure they can already find you, but whatever. Like so, guys, don't don't be weird. Just yeah, I mean, I don't know how you did. You see my text this morning? I did. Yeah. So yeah. what's going on with that? I didn't know how to respond, to be honest. You know, because you you I I. I didn't want to presume. I mean, obviously, when the opinion came out, I sent that whole fucking rant to the group text. Which was very well thought out and written. Yeah. And, you know, I I didn't know how people would respond to that. And then, you know, I saw the text this morning and I talked to Mo earlier before I started this podcast. And I was going to call you later tonight just to see how you're doing. But, I mean, honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know you would be i didn't know you would be struggling you know yeah and that's kind of another and look i know that this was not malintent that none of the men in our family reached out to any of us when this happened yeah well you know i know it wasn't malintent and i'm but this is exactly what i'm talking about that men have to realize that there is a lack of awareness even if you think you're fighting the good fight because our youngest brother called and was like, I don't know how I didn't even think about this. You know what I mean? So it's like spend more time and just ask women and listen to women. You know, like I'm not saying you can't have your own emotional perspective and process and, like, if you really want to get to the freaking bottom of this, like, then best thing you can do right now is, like, check on your women and ask them and give them the platform and give them the mic. That's my personal stance on this. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Because it was like, hey, I don't know if anyone ever thought about this. But again, as you all know, I went through a pretty traumatic experience yeah. and had to have chemotherapy injections to dissolve a growth in my fallopian tube that I thought was a viable pregnancy for seven weeks and was devastated and then bled for 60 days after the fact. And two years later, I'm still grieving that. And now I have lost autonomy over my body and it's not business as usual yeah yeah Pele thank you Pele I I worry I'm just, I don't know. I'm just really worried about, I don't know. I'm I'm worried about the state of the world and what this, what this can mean going forward, you know? Yeah. I think it's, that's like a general consensus. I'm going to, I also want to add this, that I said, I don't have the emotional capacity to be out in the streets right now. My 
form of protest in this moment, the way that I am saying, fuck you, I won't do it. You tell me is that I am insisting to the best of my ability to live a joyful and fucking awesome lit life. Yeah. There are so many people and things and forces doing everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen. My protest is to be like challenge accepted because I refuse to live and die bitter, jaded, scared, afraid. I'm going to be dancing on stage with George Clinton and the parliament funk. <laughs> But we'll smell right. at the trap tonight. You yeah. and I are gonna. <laughs> you and I are gonna go see Rage Against the Machine and yeah. run fucking jewels at yeah. Alpine Valley. Throw Maggie's body at yeah. the stage, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna break my. And I am going to be in communion <laughs> with the people that I love and the women yeah. that I love, and I am going to have fun and live my life. And guess what you're not going to do to the best of my ability is mess up my nervous system anymore. Yeah, I get you on that. And here's the deal about that. Mm -hmm. The soul of the world right now is in the sympathetic nervous system. It's in fight or flight. Now, like I said, there is a purpose and place for anger, for protest, for resistance. And... If we're meeting that collective stress from a stressful nervous system, even if the intent is good, we are feeding the beast. We are adding to the collective fight, flight, freeze, fawn, faint, annihilate (laughs) the bad vibes. So one of the most revolutionary things that, I can do in my perspective is keep myself cool, calm, and collected. Doesn't mean there's not a place for those other things when it's appropriate. And when I feel like I'm recharged enough to go there, I will. Yeah. But you're and not going to find totally me cool if you can. triggered yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. Well, the I, world I, doesn't need that. Or, you I, know I, what? I, they don't do your energy in that way either. Yeah. You're not going to rob me of my. That's my part of my body autonomy. Yeah, yeah. That's my body autonomy. I've got so much to give at this point. My birthright, (laughs) my birthright is peace. My birthright is joy. And grace. Yeah. This is my birthright. There's a lot going on. I'm not turning a blind eye. But these motherfuckers are not going to steal this from me. I would like to see them try. Joy and black joy needs to be celebrated. And so we will. We will celebrate. So that's my contribution, Bide. It's uh, a good you, ass. No, it's a good. Do you notice my my name on here? My my at what my little handle. Oh, that's nice. I didn't What's see it? that. Oh. It's at Bide's big sis. That's so sweet. <laughs> and also, my strategy yeah. for calling was like, well, we're gonna tell him we're proud of him, and then we're. Gonna- <laughs> I am proud of you, <laughs> and that's why I Thanks, wanted my no. handle. To be Bide's big oh, sis that's because so I would sweet. like to oh. exploit your rising fame and, and less. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> rising fame. Yeah, that's <laughs> plenty of it. We're going. We're gonna go in hot. I'm gonna be like, yeah, yeah Bide, you're so hot. And then she was like, No, he already has enough people saying that. We're not going in with this. <laughs> and I was like, Fine, we'll just be like, We're proud of you. And like, 
of you. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty pissed that you're doing this podcast. Oh, yeah, show. yeah. Don't fucking tell him. I will not at all. Not. I did a whole episode on mushrooms, dude. Like, yeah, he cannot I, know. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite episodes. We were just vibing. See, I, I, I 100% like a lot of my politics today, as you know, are centered around the fact that people should be entitled to have that joy. Should people should be entitled to have like your right to life is such a beautiful thing. Your right to experience each other. Yeah. Well, we're just vibing. Like your, your experience, your, your right to have experience and commune with your fellow, uh, you know, person on this earth and to discover and to be and to feel and to love is something worth protecting to me. You know, like that is, that is the whole goal. Like that's the vibe. That's the fucking vibe. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, like I've I've always been like into like the, the, a little more into the nitty gritty of like the politics of shit. And, you know, I'll get caught up in like the, the processes and whatever the fuck. But I think, Look, you do you do not have to fight right now. I hope you understand that. And anyone else who does not have the emotional capacity to to fight right now, your life should not always having to be fucking fighting. For God's sakes, it we doesn't need to, need put to our be. energy where it needs to. Yeah, be. and you're you're so right about how like a decision like this doesn't just rob you of your your bodily autonomy, but like if it gets in your fucking mind. And starts like taking like it can rob you of your fucking joy. I and honestly the, think by one second that's been the most unspoken thing about this whole thing. Yeah, I know so many female identifying people right now who are just in the weeds. Yeah, broken, not broken. Look, they're, very it's, hard to it's, break. It's, but they've been very, very much like holy shit. Yeah, it's a Here holy shit go. fucking moment. It's a holy shit moment, and like to me when I when I read this decision and i look at it i'm like holy shit they're going for gay marriage next they're going for they're they're literally, and, and contraceptives like they're and and this is a griswold, coordinated attack lawrence, yeah griswold and lawrence and ogre uh, 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 yeah they're they're going for all well, of that but, but by, did you see uh samuel l jackson's tweet to clarence um thomas, thomas? What was it? What, what was it? Probably inappropriate. Um, well, he was like, "Here we go, Uncle okay, yeah. Clarence." Clarence called him Uncle Clarence, and like he's like, "What's next?" And then it was like, "Is it love versus Virgin- loving Virginia, loving yeah, versus, Virginia, Virginia. versus love? Mm-hmm. Loving versus Virginia, which is interracial marriage? Interracial, and right? This man is in an this interracial. This guy yeah. is literally." the devil dude well his yeah his energy's fucking crazy well, i can't even imagine how a black man in yeah. the highest court with the history of this country standing on the platform that, that he, he is has. right now who the fuck does he think he is i kind of yeah. talk to him a little bit and be like hey dude what's I'm, going on <laughs> I mean, that honestly hurts me more. I'll be the one. That hurts me, like, more than any of them. Because, like... joking? Absolutely. How, like, what a... a betrayal. What a betrayal to your ancestors and to everyone. I kind of just want to look them in the eyes and be like, so, hi, and also... What? What's the actual... <laughs> Excuse me. I don't know. <laughs> also, like, yeah. can you just no, clarify no, no, no. for two seconds, sir? What's the 
end game with this one. Yeah. Like, it's, how well, far do you uh, want to so, take it? So I feel uncomfy right now. Yeah. If we can yeah. stop, I'm good. But well, uh, well Shelly in the comments says it's a it's a product of a colonized mind. You know, You're all I, I think I think part of I think you know one of the reasons why I'm such a big advocate for you know psychedelics and just keeping your joy and all of these things. I think, you know, I think all of that stuff is necessary for you to see through like the bullshit of the manufacturing of consent that's done for you to think a certain way or to be a certain way or to have have uh certain goals. Yeah. You need to, you need to break out of the fucking matrix, man. Like you just need to. And, and the matrix is very much a part of, a colonized sort of society, you know, the, the, these, these like pull yourself up from your bootstraps type motherfuckers who will be reject all evidence to the contrary, reject everything because they need like this idea of what they, they have a framework that America makes sense to them in a way from, you know, I'm the product of my own everything and I'm this, and they, they tune everything else out because it starts, they've built up a reality that's built on so many false assumptions and so much falsity that their only option at a certain point is to maintain the system is to, is to continue the lie. They can't, they, they, like Clarence Thomas is a man devoid of truth. Like at a certain point, this guy is so far up his own motherfucking ass and so drunk on the Kool-Aid of of colonialism. That's white woman's ass. Yeah. And ain't even a good ass. Nah, she it, nah. She, yeah. I'm gonna let you guys comment on that until the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that quoting Zach De La Roca. Yeah. You know, I'm rolling down Rodeo with a shotgun. Yeah. These people ain't seen a brown skinned man since their grandfathers caught one. Ooh, fuck. Come on, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling down Rodeo with the shotgun. shotgun. These people ain't seen a brown skinned man since their grandfathers caught one. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, come on. That's Clarence? Yeah. Clarence, you okay, the fact Samuel L. Jackson, like this poor man, Samuel L. Jackson had to play that role with Leonardo DiCaprio. Jane like Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um like when I saw but, Django Unchained as a white woman, <laughs> sorry, it was a little bit. I was like, "Wow!" I've only seen that movie <laughs> once. It's kind of one of those. Yeah, like, it gets once. rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some rough moments for sure. That's like, joking? oof. Have you yeah. heard that um, comedian? I can't remember his name right now, but he's like, you know who some of the unsung heroes are of the civil rights movements? He's like. The white people that play those heinous motherfuckers. <laughs> He's like, like Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained. He's like, this man had to call Jamie Foxx the N word to his face in front of Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, he had he had Kerry Washington by the hair, just disrespectful. Disrespectful. And he was like. Have you noticed that Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't in another movie with a person of color? He's like, he's done movies with everyone, but he wasn't in another movie with a person of color um, co-star for 10 years since then. He's like, after you call Jamie Foxx the N-word in front of Samuel L. Jackson, you got to lay low for a little bit, <laughs> for about a decade. But he goes, if anybody know Leo, tell him he can come home. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you, but it's like, he's like, yeah, in order to do. tell the history of my people, you're going to have to have white actors staying and doing some heinous ass shit. It's true. It. It's true. It's yeah. 100% true. That's funny as fuck, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. send that to me whenever you find that, because that's, that's some real shit. Hi, how are you? I miss you. Yeah, I miss you too, homie. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. I'm doing good. When are you going to be in Indy next? Um, I don't know, but you're coming to the rage. I'm coming to see you. Yeah. Okay. I'll be up there in a couple weeks. We'll figure it all out. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna like go be in our woman joy for. Yeah, go do that. Please do. Yeah. Your feminine energy was joining us tonight. We know we are a powerful trio, and we love. You know, I would personally love. I think this was a great way to start. And I, like I said, I appreciate the lens and the context that you provided for that lens. And if you ever did a follow up, maybe just like invite women to the front of the stage and just take in some women callers and let them let them say what they want to say and be who they want to be. And, you know, like uh, another thing is not all women feel this way. There are a lot of women who are very happy. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing that I, that I worry about when it comes to like a colonial mindset is we're all colonists. Yeah. Well, every, everyone's mind is affected by this system and, and, you know, there is a, there's a sense of like you would imagine someone. Well, take Clarence Thomas. You would imagine someone to be of a different mindset from having exposure. Exp- yeah, just experience. being being this in the system. And I don't think that's yeah. how it always works. And where did his hatred come from? Though is my question. It like, can. Why are you well, so- Lede and I mean, one day off this podcast, Lede and I can tell you some stories of some of the weirdest self hatred we've ever seen. And okay. Lede already knows what I'm talking about, but like, it, it, I, I, it's profound, and I don't understand it. I don't understand uh, it. I do yeah, you know what I'm talking about. At when, first, I was like, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was trying to talk with you and Trey about it for a bit, but like, yeah, yeah. It's fucking wild. It's so it's wild. Just sad. And it's, it's sad. I, it I really don't want to hate anyone. I don't. I don't hate either. Yeah, I'm not hating because on because he's yeah. a victim. This is how far oppression can take it. Man. Well, the yeah. levels of oppression. What I wanted yeah. to say earlier was that levels of oppression don't affect Clarence Thomas sometimes. Obviously, oh, obviously not right now. Yeah, racism in this country, but there are certain levels of classism, etc. Yeah, that that man is never going to be affected by. Sure, and he thinks that transcends his. As a black man in America, he yeah. has yeah. to think yeah. about yeah. being yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. as it never will. Oh, he's still a nigga. He's still yeah, a nigga. Exactly. Like, it don't like gracious. under the right circumstances. He gonna he yeah. gonna learn that real they quick. They're playing him. Man. Yep. playing yep. him. And it's it's sad. To watch. Mm-hmm. Gosh, he thinks he's <laughs> he thinks he's in. He thinks he's in. Yeah, they're yeah, laughing, yeah. They're laughing behind his back. Yeah, hell yeah. They're laughing behind his back. What hell yeah. Which could you ever see a white man doing that? Ever. Which is the worst thing ever? Oh, dude, come on. We could I mean, literally be changing the world together. Yeah. And he, <laughs> is he the? Oh no! It was Third Good Marshall was the first. Black was the first? Yeah, he was the is first. He the, and is then he the he's, second? Is he's literally the fucking second. Lede. Oh my god! That's what they. That's how they did Third Good Marshall. The guy who was how the attorney you go from for Third Good to motherfucking Clarence. <laughs> Third Good to 
get the bag. Damn. I swear sometimes that I'm like, is it even worth it? Because the backlash you get from putting good black people in government. Is I know, it right? worth it? I know. I uh, know it's uh no it's it's a fucking once but that's the thing once if if you start focusing on here here's what people are really good at doing political opponents in particular they will weaponize the look there's a real sort of oppression that comes with an identity in this country really for bad. sure yes well no yes <laughs> right as a gay but that's step woman. one <laughs> step one you gay ass woman here's the rest <laughs> all right here's the rest of it right there's there's a real oppression that comes with it, but in the identity itself, people will then take basically a caricature of that I identity it's and and use it to um, you know push an agenda that is completely contrary to that identity's actual struggle. Well, they create they a narrative through. that's false and what they want it and needed to be in the moment of time in a way. Right. And they use an identity, if they find an identity that is like, hey, this is an identity of someone they who is typically it. against us, they weaponize it 100%. I agree. And that's agree. that's fucking hard. Um, you know? But anyway, I'm glad you called in. Yeah, I'm glad we're together in our call. I mean, yeah. we're together. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, like, hope these listeners had a great time i'm especially loving july's uh picture <laughs> and shelly shout Shelley out yeah and fahim i'm not sure if i'm saying yeah, that I yeah correctly yeah. um shout, shout out, out to, to your listeners. profile pictures shout yeah out to i got a lot of cat people <laughs> yeah and by if you don't personally invite me again on your podcast to talk about something then you're a about. homophobic just like Chick-fil-A, okay. my favorite ranch. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, thanks for taking our call, bud. Love yeah, you. We're gonna I love you, too. Love you, too. Yeah, go go have fun. Go have fun. The mousetrap. All right. Love you. All right. Love you, too. Bye. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Whew. All right. That was, uh, that was my sister, my older sister, Lede. And uh, Maggie, who is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and I'm glad they came on. I'm glad Lede, uh, always really good at just talking about, I don't know, the, I guess bringing things back to the tangible effects that some of this has on actual people, you know? <sighs> yeah, I should have called her earlier. She she texted this morning saying that she was struggling. She was mad. And she was like, why didn't any of the guys call me? And I was like, uh-oh, fuck. <laughs> like, that's me. I'm one of the guys who didn't call you. So, uh, but, yeah, I don't know. People, it's, look, let's, we'll, we'll, I think that's a pretty good place to end it. But what I'll say is I think the most profound thing that Lede said, at least to me, is about your joy and how, and not, you know, I'm not trying to say everyone should be joyous all the time or whatever, or we always have to be happy or that, that even you living in your joy is resistance enough to stop the political forces that are against you. Because I personally don't believe that. I just, I think that doesn't work. But, like, 
for fuck's sake, your life is your life, right? Your your there's so much that is constantly coming down on you. And and if your life is nothing but fighting or flight, you know, the fight or flight instinct, like she was saying, um, then to a certain extent, it's no longer yours. Do you know what I mean? It's no longer your life. Like, because you're just the amalgamation of all the shit that's coming down on you and affecting you and making you feel this way or making you do this or that or whatever. And I think it is, I think there is something radical in, in deciding or figuring out ways to get enjoyment out of things, to, to live, to, to love, to experience um, life. And I know that it's pretty hippy dippy, but I think it's real. Like it's, And there are certain circumstances we can think of where that does seem impossible, you know, um, where you are really in fight or flight for the entirety of your existence. But um, so long as that's still possible, I think if there's anything you take away from this podcast besides like the history of Marbury versus Madison, which... I guess I was only interested in, but <laughs> if there's anything you really take away, um, as long as it is possible for you to actually enjoy life, to get, to, to, to participate in a way that's yours, you need to do that. You have to, that's what the revolution is trying to fight for. At least for me, that's what I'm fighting for. That's what gives me motivation to get up in the morning and, you know, if I have to canvas for something I'm canvassing, if I'm doing some kind of research to write some kind of legislation that's uh, that is going to be you know some kind of anti-corruption legislation that's that's what I'm thinking of i I want I think it would be cool if we were just all allowed to enjoy our lives and kind of bullshit with each other and vibe. As 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 like uh, as hippy dippy as it sounds, I think there's something really profound about that, and I think the current political climate is one which threatens a lot of that. Um, yeah, I feel I don't know. I'm worried. I I hope she's okay, and I hope you're okay too. And if you're not, that's okay. We're gonna be okay. I'm not going to stop trying to fight for you unless I need to take a little break or a nap, but then I'll be right back. I promise. Uh, and you shouldn't stop no matter how hard you're fighting. You shouldn't stop taking those moments for you as well. Um, and for each other. Cause that's, that's what the fight's all about. Right? Yeah. I think, I think that's a, good place to end this one <laughs> unless anyone else got anything to say or um any of that i think i think that might be a i think that might be the spot people um thank you for joining me next week we'll be back into um next week's episode is gonna be fun we're just talking about like the spectacle of socialism so to what extent is it even 
you know, all these pop socialists, I, I include myself among them, uh, the TikTok bimbos, the people who, uh, you know, may not be like the best on theory or anything like that, but they're having fun. They're having a good time. Like, what, what do you think about them? That's what we're really going to talk about next episode. And um, we're also going to talk about whether or not that guy actually fucked my mom. So uh, remains to be seen, people. I, I mean, my mom would not fuck him. Let's just be clear. Uh, my, my mom would not fuck that guy. Totally not his type. Uh, or totally not her type. But uh, cool. <laughs> I really uh, thank you all for joining me. And uh, I hope you enjoyed your stay at the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. All right. Take care.